Welcome, once again, to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm starting this late with no intro music, so I'm still kind of catching my bearings here a little bit. But we're going to talk a little bit today about why young people are leaving the church. And this is a problem. This is um, something that's actually been talked about for years now. This isn't a new thing. I think some on <laughs> with political agendas might want to make this out like it is a new thing because they want to blame Trump for the phenomenon or they say Trump is the reason that so many young people are leaving the church. So uh, that's pretty much what's on the agenda for today. Um, but uh, before we get there, I have a few announcements. Uh, there we go. I'm getting feedback the- from my own stream. There we go. All right. I think I got it all set up. We're going to be going over uh, two articles uh, in the discussion, by the way, and I'll show you what those are. Um, one I saw trending on Twitter yesterday. It was titled, These Evangelical Women Are Abandoning Trump and the Church by Sarah Stancorb, I believe is the name. And we're going to talk about this article. I'm going to go over it, actually. Uh, and then another one was it's from June 28th, but I saved it because I saw um, even... Even someone that I'm, I'm friends with liked this, and so I thought this is getting into places that um, that I, I just wish it wasn't. But uh, but not a huge surprise. It's by Ben Creamer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. On June 28th, and it's a post about why he thinks evangelicals are leaving the church, and he claims to be a pastor. So we're going to talk about um, uh, the, both of these articles. A uh, few announcements, though. Uh, number one. I had mentioned a few months ago now that maybe it was only a month ago. I can't keep track of time in these news cycles anymore. But uh, those who want to start an evangelical seminary, an alternative really to the Southern Baptist seminaries, uh, I, I said, send me your email. I'll put you on a list. I think I have like six people maybe uh, on that list or so. It's not uh, very many, but I know that there was a lot more interest than just those who sent me the email. And so I wanted to at least announce this. Um, there are two efforts I know about that I'm, I'm very comfortable sending you to. Uh, one is Russell Fuller, and um, you can he, he doesn't keep his contact information a secret. You can go on Facebook and find Russell Fuller. Uh, he is starting his own online teaching. Uh, I think he's going to call it Theology Classroom, uh, kind of an online format, and he's going to do it himself the first semester and I think he's got like four classes he's offering. And then if it's successful, which it looks like it might be, he's got already 100 people, I think, that have told him they're interested. Um, then the next semester, he wants to add more professors and maybe create something. This, this, would, this is actually an excellent idea because accreditation standards, especially as we get more secularized and uh, non-discrimination policies are just going to probably take down orthodox seminaries or seminaries trying to be orthodox on uh, issues of gender, etc., I think what Fuller's trying to build is a really, really worthwhile endeavor. So you may want to talk to him if you want to, uh, if you have fun funding for him, or if you're just interested in taking the classes that he's offering. I'm sure. Um, I mean, this is ground floor stuff. This is this isn't all set up yet, but um, but I'm sure once this thing develops, then there'll probably be a certificate of some kind if you take a certain amount of classes and. Um, if you do want to go to a brick and mortar seminary, take Fuller's Hebrew class. I think it's like 250 bucks or something he's asking, which isn't much to get a, I mean, he is the guy who wrote the textbook on Hebrew and you can go to a brick and mortar seminary and then you can pass their Hebrew test when you go in. So, uh, 
very, very exciting news on that front. And then um, I interviewed Ronnie Now uh, last week on Woke Church. Ronnie Now also is committed to uh, putting significant funding behind a seminary. He's talking to some people at higher levels. And, um, and I'm just glad those conversations are taking place. I've been helping network some of that uh, in the little little way that I can. But um, if you want to fund that or find out what's going on there, you can also find out um, kind of from him what he's doing. Uh, Facebook, um, I know if you go to the last week's show on Woke Church, I put Ronnie Nell's email in the info section there. So that's uh, number one. Um, Number two, uh, let's see, we're going to talk a little bit about some blogs that I put out there this week. Uh, not, not everything I do is actually on this podcast. In fact, I used to do a lot more writing, and, it, and not many people read what I wrote. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to start doing video, and that just took off. But, um, but I'll show you some, some blogs that I wrote, and I'm not going to take you through all of it, but I'll, I'll show you kind of what you can find. This is at... Um, Conversations that matter. So it's worldviewconversation.com if you want to check that stuff out. Uh, but yeah, a couple things. Uh, one is, and, and you're going to want to know about this one: um, 13 reasons to reject Jamar Tisby's color of compromise. So this was written by J.O. Smith. This wasn't actually written by me, but fan of the podcast uh, sent it to me, and uh, it's pretty good. Um, and and you can go through all the 13 reasons and. Uh, he does a lot of research, especially on some of the claims that Tisby makes about the 20th century. A lot of good good stuff here. Um, so you can check that out if, if you have friends that are reading Color of Compromise. Um, of course, I did a, a podcast with my brother about this. It was co- sort of a long-form conversation. I didn't go into great detail, but we, we just kind of had a, an Im- informal conversation about it. And then um, I also wrote this yesterday morning. I actually just got up. For some reason, I was thinking about specialization. I don't... I, I think of weird things sometimes in the morning, but this, this this really relates to why pastors might be going woke. And so it's very short read. Uh, you might want to check that out um, on specialization and social justice in the pulpit. If you want to know more about, about this, and even if you just want to understand kind of philosophically where we're at, what modernity has done, because modernity and post-modernity, they, they flow into each other. It's not like you know, after the Soviet Union fell, now, now it's postmodernism. No, it's actually, when you make man the measure of all things, um, you, you, you can say that man's scientific research and his brain, you know, these are the things that are capable of ascertaining truth. But as soon as you make that the standard for ascertaining truth, then it opens the Pandora's box. And we see what we're, what we're seeing now. We see postmodernism. And because, again, there's no transcendent standard. Man is the measure of all things. And so, uh, this is one of the things that I even get concerned with sometimes with uh, partnering. We got to be careful. I'll put it this way: we got to be careful when we partner with uh, modernists, um, scientific modernists, because we we both say we believe in objective truth, but I think a Christian has a basis for believing in objective truth in our metaphysic. I don't think someone who's um, an atheist, let's say, uh, a modernist who you know they hate social justice as much as you do, let's say, but they don't have a basis for really combating it philosophically. And so um, that's not what this show's about, so I'm not going to belabor that point. But uh, you may want to check out uh, that blog. And so those are just uh, two, uh, two announcements there. Um, let's get into it. Let's, let's talk about uh, the subject at hand for today. I already see there's a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of comments coming in. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, in the future, we'll probably see a shift where pastors will be trained more at, uh, through churches than Bible colleges. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. So um, I think Russell Fuller is paving the way for what this might look like. And look, if we're on the, the, the edge here, the cutting edge of technology uh, and seeing where things are going, then I do believe that it, it, this is good. This means we're going to be a step ahead of even the social justice guys because they have their online classes, but they're, they're not that great. I'll be honest with you. It's not like the technology is all that good. It's not all that personal. Um, it's, it's a camera in the back of a classroom and it's, you got to pay so much money. I mean, if you audit, I guess you can take advantage of that. But, um, but I think the idea that Fuller has is, uh, is a really good idea. Um, I think he may even want to go to a subscription type model, but this is something where like during the week you could have like an impromptu, Hey, we're going to have like a live stream with some of the professors. We're going to chat about, um, some of the theological issues of the day. You can, um, like we're doing right now, you can, uh, bring your questions and we'll talk about those. So, um, let's, let's talk about though, uh, <laughs> I'm really giving Russell Fuller my full endorsement here, aren't I? Um, I, I think he wants it. I hope he wants it, you know? If he doesn't, I disavow. You know, you just go support him and forget what I said. Uh, we're going to talk about these articles. Um, first one, uh, these evangelical women are abandoning Trump and the church. This was trending yesterday on Twitter. I printed it out. I usually don't do that, but um, I got tired of looking at screens. So um, I'm going to show you that here. Uh, oh, oh, before I get there, real quick, uh, John MacArthur. <laughs> I almost forgot about this. John MacArthur put out a blog, I think it was yesterday, or maybe today. No, it's today. It's brand new blog. Yeah. Christ not Caesar is head of the church. Christ not Caesar is head of the church. And I read, I skimmed, I'll be honest, I skimmed through it. But it looks like what he's arguing here is that the, the, the government has no ecclesiastical authority. In other words, they can't tell the church what to do. And, and here's the interesting part to me. Um, this is what? This is July 24th. So it's been, what, four or five? I mean, I don't know. California is different than some of the other states. It's been shut down for a while. And these are all the same things that I know I was saying. Um, I know Edie Robles was saying this. Um, I know there's a, there's a bunch of people. I don't know who all, but a bunch of people were saying this, that, making this argument, the same one John MacArthur's making, day one of let's declare the church non-essential. We were making this argument. We're saying this is discrimination against the church. When you say that a liquor store or Planned Parenthood can be open and the church can't, that is discrimination. I know there were some voices saying, oh, this isn't, this is a healthy, no, it is. When you're, when you're, you're it's partiality. I don't, I don't know why we can see this with other things for some reason. We can even imagine it where it doesn't exist. Partiality. But for, when it's obvious like this, we want to say, oh, it's for the common good. It's, look, the government was discriminating against the church. If your church wants to shut down for a little while, if, you're, if there's concerns, I get that. Every situation is different. I understand that. I'm not... Um, making a hard and fast rule here. But the, the root issue for me with all of this is those who wanted to say Romans 13 was a blank check that you can give to government and for the sake of the common good, which is what the government always justifies everything on, the common good, we, we'll just shut down. I, I said, that's a bad argument. As soon as you go down that path, you're opening the door uh, for, for this, for abuse, essentially. And uh, John MacArthur, um, to his credit, uh, it seems kind of late to me in some ways, but, um, the, the, you know, better late than never. He's, uh, and he, he lives in California. I think it's his getting to him. What do you think? You think it's getting to John MacArthur? I mean, it's like, 
you know, how many Sundays can you go? And and the, the blatant discrimination in California uh, with, I mean, they let so many other businesses open, but the church has to remain closed. I think he's just getting tired of it. And, um, uh, and, and you know, there's folks like J.D. Greer. I just heard this, I think it was yesterday. J.D. Greer has decided that uh, Summit Church, this is the uh, flagship church for the whole entire Southern Baptist Convention, Fla- flagship church, closed for the rest of the year, not opening at all. I mean, <laughs> so the church isn't going to meet for almost an entire year. And who knows what he, he'll say in January? I don't know. I mean, that's the middle of flu season. <laughs> I, it's just insane. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought I'd encourage you with that. And you can go ahead and if you want to use that, share that with people. Um, I, I highly recommend that blog. Okay, now to the main course here. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, this article that was trending on Twitter yesterday. And you can see there's a picture of someone uh, holding a cross. These evangelical women are abandoning Trump and the church. It's about a 17-minute read. Of course, uh, ours will be probably a little longer, but I won't read the whole thing. I'll just interject a lot of my comments. That'll uh, take it probably a little longer here. All right, we're going to go to the first section here, and it is Sarah uh, Stancorb, who authored this, telling the story of Katie Loveland. And... It starts with giving her evangelical credentials. Most of these kinds of articles do start that way. It says, Katie Loveland, 37, and a mother of two, was raised evangelical in Wyoming, okay, so red state country, in the 1980s and 90s. Her parents weren't political, but they steeped her in Christian pop culture, like kids' music by the Donut Man and Salty. You remember Salty? I I met Salty when I was young. I remember that. I was very excited. I guess, I don't know if that dates me, but um, Salty and Singing Bible. I don't know what the singing Bible is, as well as media from the fundamentalist organization focus on the family. So, so you can already tell some biases coming out. You know, that's the fundamentalist organization focus on the family. That in the liberal media, fundamentalist is a pejorative. Um, Into the Gospel Coalition is also a pejorative. Uh, Loveland moved to Helena, Montana, also red state country, uh, to raise her own family and began attending the small congregation at the Christian Missionary and Alliance Church in 2016. Hmm, what happened in 2016 also? Oh, that was, oh, Trump was elected, right? So the year Trump was elected, one morning after she taught adult Sunday school, an usher in his 60s followed her into the church kitchen. He was tall and blocked the exit, looking Loveland up and down. And he said, do you have a twin? He said, because I'd sure like to have that. Now, uh, so you're already, you're picturing in your mind, what are you picturing? Probably um, uh, the old nasty man, right? Old nasty guy here. And uh, you know, has, he doesn't have any business talking to a woman that's uh, younger than him by over 20 years. And um, Loveland wrote the man a letter. He'd been bothering other women, she says, and reported the incident to her pastor. But the man continued serving communion. It wasn't this big, horrible thing she told me late last year. Okay, it made her uncomfortable. And here's, here, here's the kicker. Around the same time, her church's all-male board decided what we need in our church was someone to walk around on Sundays and carry a gun. That's a quote. I can't imagine any pastor, you know, you know the, the picture of the elders at a board meeting, the pastor, senior pastor gets up, he says, you know, what we need around here, someone to walk around on Sundays and carry a gun. That's what we need in our church. I'm sure 
he was saying we have a problem. There's church shootings, legitimate problem. Uh, we we want to make sure that the people in our church are protected. So we need someone responsible and safe who has some experience to carry a gun. I'm sure that's probably how it went down. If it didn't, they are in the stark minority of churches. I've never heard a church just that's you know irresponsibly just saying that. Just someone randomly carrying a gun. Loveland, who works in public health, was helping out in the church nursery where older kids would wander in and out to play with the babies. The board's decision made Loveland contemplate the risk of harm posed by an unlicensed armed person in the church primed to shoot. Now, this is taking advantage of the audience's ignorance on guns. Unlicensed armed person. What, there are different kinds of licensing you can get that, that show that you're good with a gun. Um, look, there... There could be someone who's a security guard who's carrying a gun or someone who's just, you know, lived. I mean, he's, she's out in what? She's in Montana. Someone who just has been around guns their whole life, hunted, good with a gun that doesn't have like an official license from an organization. But he has the right to carry a gun and he, he's responsible and safe. That is very possible. Um, but this is the, the kind of this is the, what they want you to, to picture at the beginning of this article. Nasty old men. During the time of Trump, in a red state, evangelical church, gun crazy, irresponsible, dangerous. Uh, that's evangelicalism. In November 2nd, 2016, Loveland was among the minority evangelical voters who did not vote for Donald Trump. The election result was cataclysmic for her. It ground me into dust spiritually, she says. Loveland saw clearly an underlying assumption among her congregation that men would be in charge, that they would protect the women. She realized evangelicalism was no longer the place for her. And I have to ask a question. When did it change? 2016, all of a sudden a bell rang and men were in charge and they wanted to protect women. Before that, that wasn't the case at this church. I, I, I'm sh I, I would be shocked if the, in 2016, right around the time Trump is being elected, all of a sudden the men decided they need to protect women and that we should have male leadership. It was probably like that when she went there. That's a doctrinal position, a theological position. This isn't a political position per se. This, this is what the Bible says about leadership in a church. Um, the office of elder is reserved for men. So this, this shouldn't be like a, a shock to her, but, but she's saying that it ground her into dust spiritually, well, the election result plus this, um, this male leadership. And look, 1 Peter 3.7 talks about wives being the weaker vessels, husbands showing honor to their wives. So chivalry isn't a new thing either to evangelicalism. It shouldn't be. I mean, it sounds like this church was probably doing things. I, I don't know the church, but maybe they were doing some things right here. But this shakes her faith. And that's the interesting part. And that's what I want to get into uh, in this podcast is why are so many people, when they leave the church, they're making a big deal about it. They're making noise on the way out. And, and the noise they're making is that this uh, has, has ruined their faith. They're having a crisis of faith over it. Um, so it sounds like they're doubting Jesus. They're doubting salvation. They're doubting the Bible. They're doubting their whole entire faith from the ground up because of what they consider to be political positions, which in this case, it's not all political. It's theological. That's the phenomenon. That's, this is what's going on. This is what's being reported on. I'm going to keep reading. There's some more uh, stories in here. I'm going to kind of skim a little bit. Uh, the Trump administration, of course, she's saying it's immoral. And then her the youth pastor at, this, uh, at a Baptist church in, in Wyoming, I guess, this must be the previous church he was at, he would go on, uh, he was a Facebook troll. He said, 
is what she says. He has no interest in my spirituality. His role in my life is to be my Facebook troll. Of course, there's no evidence given in the article. I'm sure if he had said something nasty, they would have quoted it, uh, but there's nothing here. Um, so I, I guess this assumes that um, people are just, I guess in tr evangelicals are anti-Hillary or pro-Trump because of their theology, because uh, they just like men being in charge. Uh, I guess that's the connection. I don't really know how to make sense of it otherwise. Um, but uh, but that's the first, and it has a picture of her here. Um, and you can go see that if you want. I'm not going <laughs> to, I got notes on it in, in my version here. Uh, so she, again, she said that um, two of her friends are in deep crises over their church, uh, over the church's response to the coronavirus pandemic. So that's another issue. They find the refusal of some to wear masks uh, coming across as indifferent toward the health and the well-being of their congregation and community. And the, the assumption here is that they're, they're questioning the motives of these people. All right, let's be clear about what's happening. He's questioning all the motives of this church. They're doing things for sexist reasons. Uh, they're doing things because they don't care about the well-being of the community, the common good. And, and this is assuming um, that, at least when it comes to the mask issue, that you have a congregation who, uh, the people, I'm going to just speak to those who are not wearing masks, it's assuming that they know that masks help and that masks will save lives and they refuse to do it. That's the assumption. And that's a not, not an appropriate assumption. It could be that uh, the people who aren't wearing masks, um, some of them may have had the virus. Some of them may not be concerned about getting the virus. Some of them may think that uh, liberty outweighs uh, whatever risk there is. And, and um, you know, they, they see this as a slippery slope and they don't want to wear a mask every flu, flu season. They don't want the government telling them, especially when there's no law in place, to wear a mask. It, there could be other reasons here. They could think, I saw a study the other day that was scientific um, that showed that masks uh, actually could, could be detrimental depending on it. Because here's the problem. <laughs> Most people are wearing these cloth masks over and over and over again. It's not like you're in wearing surgical masks, right? And because of that, all, all sorts of the, the dust and the grime and everything is collecting in that mass. So some people think, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and I read another article the other day, uh, or I saw one, I skimmed it, that was telling that it was, it was showing that there's an environmental problem now because so many people are wearing masks and the disposable ones, which are the ones that actually work better, um, they're disposing of so many, it's, it's a litter problem for the planet. So it's like, you can never win. So it, it's a crisis. It's a crisis of faith. It's a crisis. She has no faith in her leadership anymore. Now, I'd like to ask for us who are conservative evangelicals, what about the crisis we go through when we see the leaders of our institutions and seminaries uh, push social justice? Uh, last week, I'm, I'm going to talk about this probably next week in a podcast, but the, all the fanfare for John Lewis, right? And, and we see that, that you know, even though the man had a 100% score with NARAL, pro-abortion to the bone, um, it's called a political disagreement. We have political disagreements with him. But then when there's disparities and when they talk about what they consider to be racism, it's, it's a, this big gospel issue and we should boot churches out. And we should, it, obviously, different messages going forward. And, and what about the faith we have in our leadership? I, mine's shaken. But again, I know that that's not faith in the institution that God has set up, the church. That's faith in big Eva, which is artificial. So it doesn't shake my faith in Christianity. But these people are having their faith shaken in Christianity because some in the congregation won't wear a mask. 
It goes into some statistics next. 80% of white evangelicals and majority of self-identified Christians said they voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and it describes Trump as the thrice-married, profane, biblically illiterate, sexually predacious candidate, and he mirrored no beatitudes. Now, I, I might differ a little bit here. <laughs> he mirrored no beatitudes. What about um, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5? Um, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now look, the next verse talks about being persecuted for Christ. So Trump may not be persecuted for Christ, but is he, is he being persecuted sometimes, or has he been for the sake of righteousness? You can answer that. I, I mean, I don't know if this is accurate, but it's assuming that the Beatitudes are somehow the standard that Christians are going to look to. Now, if Christians believe that this is a binary choice, which many do, and they think it's either Hillary or Trump, and they know that the, the survival of the very institution, the church, depends on Hillary not getting in, on the radical left not taking over. Because look, these, these guys, you see what they're doing. They're canceling uh, businesses and people and historical artifacts. I mean, if they can do that to those things, why not the church? Why not the institution of the church? You really want a liberal Democrat in charge? And, and that's, I think, what some of these Christians are thinking. It's not, they're not making a, a decision to vote for Donald Trump because they just they really like the fact that he's biblically illiterate and profane. No, of course not. Or they really just want power. We're going to see that play out in this. No, it's, it's, they probably, it's a fight for survival. Hey, this guy's going to allow us to have a seat at the table. The other side, they want us canceled. They want us in jail. And don't think that's, that's um, too far-fetched. You see what's happening now and how quick it can happen. <laughs> Here at last was a president who could muscle forward their political interests. Hmm. And that, as if that's a bad thing. I mean, we, we just, we're, we're hearing about the political interests of someone who's a progressive Christian. And those are all legitimate. Those are for the common good. Those are against misogyny. They're, they're for equality. But they're political interests. Why they're voting for people? They're registering as Democrat, according to this article. Why aren't aren't they doing it for power? But but the motive is wrong if it's a conservative. Um, interviews an author uh, who wrote a book called Red State Christians and gets a, a terrible take. Um, but but one of the things she, the author of of this book, uh, Angela Denker, talks about is this is uh, she, she says it's civic religion. Uh, that is taking place in evangelical churches and <laughs> with its unique blend of nostalgia plus a little misogyny and a dog whistle race politics on the side. See, that's what evangelicals believe. That's their civic religion. And of course, this is probably family values, male leadership in the church, things that the Bible teaches, um, no evidence for this dog whistle race stuff. But, but that's, that's the narrative. And this is an old narrative. I want you guys to know that. This goes back to um, probably goes back before that, but I know um, it was prominently uh, quoted from David Moberg in a book called The Great Reversal, which I think came out in the early 70s. But that, that was the idea. Billy Graham was part of this, you know, civic religion. Uh, he's in bed with Richard Nixon and the Republican Party, and, and this just ought not to be. This is horrible. They're, they're just after power. And, and so is there some legitimacy to this idea of civic religion? We're going to talk about that a little bit, but um, what I want you to see is how um, unhinged and just uh, <laughs> prejudicial and really outside the box of an evangelical church this, is, this opinion is coming from. This is someone who doesn't understand evangelicalism. That's reversion of civic religion. It's, a, it's not about the gospel. It's about God, guns, and country. And 
so so these national political issues are, are what drives the church. That's the thesis of this. It's not really about the gospel. The gospel doesn't drive the church. So these church people are just right wing nut jobs. Um, they're they're more uh, they're more excited about the Fourth of July and Veterans Day, bigger celebrations than they are about Easter. Um, you think of maybe like a, a Robert Robert Jeffers or someone like that. You know they have big big displays in their church, patriotic displays, and 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 this is the problem. This is the problem with evangelicalism as a whole. We're just going to broad brush it. Uh, they have a dominionist theology. It portrays the white European settlement of America as the fulfillment of God's promise. Um, most don't believe that. There's no sources here. Find, find me those. I mean, even if you walked into Robert Jeffers' church, are they going to say, yeah, the white European settlement of America? That's the fulfillment of God's promise. That was, we don't, gospel, not so important. That's what we believe here. <laughs> um, and, and Obama's administration was so horrible uh, the Democrats sounded like foreigners to red state Christians across the South and rural America. <sighs> you know, so horrible. And, and so is there some legitimacy to this? I, quick history here. Re- revivalism from the 19th century. Uh, think, you know, Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? Merging these um, Christian imagery. Uh, think Gettysburg Address, right? Christian imagery with uh, these civil matters, these national civil matters. Yes, during the Second Great Awakening, there's a lot of that started. Um, that uh, the Union was a sacred kind of entity of some kind. Um, fundamentalists did inherit some of that. Northern fundamentalists inherited some of that. And when fundamentalists came south with Bible conferences and they set up schools in the south because it was cheaper, like Bob Jones and other places, uh, Piedmont, you know. Um, yeah, some of that fundamentalist thinking uh, did go into those areas. And of course, in the Northeast, it's dead spiritually. So Christianity exists in the South and the Midwest, primarily in red states, right? So that's where fundamentalism has still remained more alive. Not because, I mean, it started in the North, but that's where it still remains alive. Um, there, but there's another, there's another group of people who inherited um, the revivalist uh, kind of mindset. And those were the social justice activists in the 1970s. And I, I wrote a book about this. I actually signed a book deal two days ago three days ago, and that'll be coming out hopefully in about a month. You can get a hold of that. And I explain all of this, but um, the social justice guys and, and, and the guys today, like the Tim Kellers and the J.D. Greers and the Russell Moores, I mean, they, they in, are standing on the shoulders of guys like Ron Sider and Richard Mao and Jim Wallace, okay? And they have their own obsession with the nation, okay? Whenever they talk about Americans are, you know, they're just too obsessed with the country and they want political power realize they say that on the one hand but on the other hand they're after political power they they want they're signaling to the secularists that we're not a threat to you but they want a seat at the secularist table and they want to change the country they're still looking at the same scope they want to change the church but it's the american church is it not the american church has the problem with racism and the church too movement etc so so these guys in the church who are on the political left uh, or in mainline denominations, they're just as obsessed with the United States as a Robert Jeffers is. They're ju- they, they just have a different, they have a new left critique. They have a different uh, understanding of the role of government and what government is supposed to accomplish. Um, but, but they're no less obsessed with the country. This paints it as right-wingers. They're the only ones. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to keep going here a little bit. I'm going to start skimming more because I want to, 
uh, get to this next article, but um, here's a quote here. Actual church attendance and Bible knowledge mattered less than a politician's ability to catalog their list of perceived cultural wrongs and manufactured fears. Talking about Donald Trump. Obama wanted, if you remember correctly, to force boys to shower in girls' bathrooms and high schools. Um, he wanted nuns to pay for health insurance that covered abortion. The list goes on. It, <laughs> Christians on the conservative side, Christians who see the writing on the wall, they're not looking at Donald Trump and thinking, oh, well, we don't care about his Bible knowledge, but uh, you know, he, he manufactures this fear in us. No, there's actual real, real legitimate fear. And Donald Trump was promising, I'm, he's the only one that was saying it almost, I'm gonna defend Christianity. I, look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump and, uh, in 2016. And I, I was a Cruz guy before Trump. Some of you weren't, and you forgive me if, if, if you didn't like Cruz. That, at the time, that, that's who I was backing. Um, I was concerned about Trump's personal life, but I did not make the mistake of thinking that Christians, people I knew, were voting for him because they liked his moral inadequacies. Uh, or because they didn't care about his moral inadequacies. I knew the reason they were voting for him was because they had a legitimate fear about the kind of country their kids would grow up in. And they wanted to share the gospel. One of the guys at my church, head of the evangelism ministry, voted for Donald Trump. He voted for him because, you know what? He shares the gospel. And he knew if Hillary Clinton got in there, there's a chance hate crime legislation could come down and it could be like Great Britain. He would not be allowed to talk about certain sins. He would, he would be muzzled in the preaching of the gospel. The church's ability to share the gospel is important. And I'm afraid that just like this liberal uh, attack piece, unfortunately, a lot of progressive Christians have the same exact critique. Here's a key, key uh, section of this. Um, study by Eastern Illinois University between 2011 and uh, 2019, about one in 10 men quit identifying as evangelical Christian. Nearly 17% of women rejected their former evangelical identity. Starting in 2016, online movements like Exvangelical and Empty the Pews organized cohorts of millennial evangelicals who were questioning, listen to the word, the deconstructing their, and deconstructing their church's worldviews, deconstructing. In October 2019, Pew... Uh, research released data showing that a portion of Americans identifying as Christian shrank the past decade from 77% to 65%. That's a whole lot. Less than half of millennials now call themselves Christians. 40% call themselves atheistic, agnostic, or nothing in particular. Why is that? Why is that the case? Is it because of Donald Trump? That's, this is what the, this article is going to have you believe. A bunch of racist bigots, misogynists, uh, gun crazy right-wing Republicans don't care about Trump's personal record and they're driving people out of the church. Obviously this started before then. Um, so you have the church, uh, the, the me too, the church too, which was, by the way, they say it was started. The church too movement was not started by an evangelical it started by someone who was an, I guess a, an ex evangelical who had left the church. And of course, JD Greer and Russell Moore and his whole caring. Well, uh, you know, the people that speak with him on stage, uh, at those events. I mean, they're, they're really, they love this church to hashtag wasn't started by a Christian. I just thought that was interesting. I thought they started it. They didn't. This, this came from outside the church. Um, so Trump, uh, they, they wanted political power. Now look, here's the thing. When I went first went to Southern, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
2017, that fall semester, three statements originating or supported by the administration against Donald Trump or the alt-right. Three. So there's a lot of vilification of Donald Trump going on in evangelical institutions within evangelical leaders. They ignore all of that. I mean, that's the, the biggest, you hear more vilification of Donald Trump coming from supposed evangelical uh, entities than you do praise for Donald Trump. Um, so so th this is skewed. Uh, it gets into purity culture. It tells the story of another um, person, uh, Elena Ramsey, gives her credentials. She left basically because of George W. Bush, I guess, Republicans uh, during that time period. And he didn't have the baggage of Donald Trump. So you got to start asking yourself, is it really Trump's uh, rhetoric and the way he treat, treated women in the past? Is that really the reason people are leaving? I mean, it could be with some. I, I'm open to that. But if, if now their second example is someone who left because of George W. Bush, then that doesn't hold water if, that's, if this is the grand narrative. Uh, she mentions Josh Harris's book, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and she was, um, uh, sh she was raped and she felt dirty like it was her fault and she blames purity culture for this. And, and you know, it's possible. There, there were some places uh, that you could go that uh, Christians were, um, and it, it was a reaction to the world. The world was obsessed with uh, sexuality and, and as a result, there were some Christian groups that reacted to that and said, we're going we're gonna to have purity rings and um, we're, we're going to make pledges, abstinence pledges, etc. And if, if you broke any of these, these things, these extra biblical things, then yeah, I could, you would feel guilty. It's very possible. I mean, I've met people who have been in some of these settings. And, so, and, and that wasn't all right. Um, but it, it, it's, I think the dynamic here is if you're a Pharisee doing that, it's, it's a much harder than if you're an actual legitimate Christian doing those things for the right reasons. You want to keep yourself, um, you save yourself for marriage, I guess was the, the quote that, that was being used at the time. You want to do that because you value the law of God and you want to please Christ. If, that, if that's missing, then of course it becomes this legalistic, guilt-driven thing. And, and so I think that's a, it's a good reminder that you know, if you, whenever you bring the law to bear, also remember grace. Remember the reason, too, that you're doing this. It's a response for Christians to the grace of God. Here's what she says. She left the church and um, she says in, she learned about community organizing and social salvation. Uh, when Actually, no, so she didn't leave the church, sorry. She became a youth pastor in the South Bronx. And that's when she learned about community organizing and social salvation. Sound familiar? Not personal salvation, social salvation. She questioned her home church. Um, she says that David was a rapist. I did a whole, I did an episode showing that's not true. David was not a rapist. And she's thinking I've been lied to, uh, these, and it says, she says it matters whose stories are being told, um, uh, who's telling them. So she's saying like in the story of David, it matters who's telling the story. You know, my church never told me that he's a rapist. So you can see some standpoint epistemology coming into play possibly here with, well, it's the perspective that you have when you look at these things. So the reason she starts doubting is social justice. <laughs> That's the reason. And um, she returns to Ohio to become the executive director for the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Listen to this. She goes from going to this, this more evangelical church in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I believe it was, I don't remember, Southern Baptist. It was, it was evangelical of some stripe. She, she goes out, oh, Vineyard, sorry. Uh, vineyard mega church, all right? So charismatic. She goes out to New York and gets woke. 
She comes back and she becomes a pro-abortion advocate. This is what I've been warning about. This is the slippery slope that we're on. You, you, it doesn't end with a kind of social, you can't just put social justice in a bottle at these seminaries and say, oh, well, we're just gonna, we'll, we'll talk about the race issue. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, church too issue, but we're not gonna let it go to other areas. We're not, well, it's, we're not gonna get woke on homosexuality or gender, uh, gender confusion. We're not gonna get uh, woke on um, reproductive choice. Uh, that's, but if you take things to their logical conclusions, a lot of people end up there. It just gets them started. And I know of people, I know of names. I know of people who have even reached out to me and said, I, in one case, someone who went to Southeastern. They went there. They were a Christian. They wanted to serve the Lord. They got a dose of social justice. They, they don't even really care about the church anymore. They're not going into ministry. This kind of thing is happening. And if you're not seeing it yet, you're going to see it. The mainline denominations are dead because of this kind of thing. It's mission drift. You're not focusing on the gospel anymore. You've attached the gospel, so many other things, social gospel stuff to the gospel while trying to also hold on to redemption in Christ. The two can't go together. Other college-educated friends had already begun deconstructing their faith, she says. <laughs> she found that some of her old friends had doubled down on their evangelical identity. So there's two, two groups. I don't know what that means, doubling down on your evangelical identity. I guess you have two footprints in the sand poems in your bathroom. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But other friends started deconstructing their faith, liberating themselves. And, and so she goes, there's more about purity culture and just how bad it was. Um, a lot of this is honestly slander. I mean, like purity culture wasn't uh, really about the sanctity of the family, but the subjugation of women, says Reverend Carol Howard Merritt. And she wrote a book called Healing Spiritual Wounds. Yeah, I mean, you can't find me primary sources that back this stuff up. It's just kind of uh, more about the church too movement. And, you know, the, it quotes the Houston Chronicle article in the Southern Baptist Convention. It says uh, 380 Southern Baptist churches, pastors, and volunteers had uh, 780 victims. So I, I did a little math, and, and I, I don't know exactly if the, how this is rough, right? But if you, you take 380 Southern Baptist churches, and what was this, over a period of 30 years, 20 years? It, it was over a long period of time. You have 47,456 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention as of uh, 2018. So 380 churches, almost well, over 47,000, comes out to 0.8%, 0.8% of churches. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm just being realistic. I'm not saying that those things aren't wrong. They are. But it, this isn't the big, um, <laughs> I want to say pandemic, but I know how pandemic's been abused now. <laughs> Hardly any deaths means pandemic. Um, but this isn't the, the big thing that people are making it out to be. I mean, what organization, I, I would wonder, um, what other organizations could we then look at and say, okay, over a period of 20 years, uh, how many sexual abuse cases were there? Let's divide it by the, you know, let's find out how many people, let's do the math. 0.8%, is that abnormally high? I just, I, I wouldn't think it would be. I, I bet the Catholic Church was a lot higher. It doesn't excuse anything, again. But they're making it out like this is the church. This, this is characterizes evangelicalism, and it's the result of their, their theology and their, their political support for people like Donald Trump. Um, it talks in here about uh, a church that it was the sort of place with high production value, smoke machines, a light show, pastor in skinny jeans, 
It's written from a secular perspective, and they're going to rag on this church. Just to let you know, those things don't impress the world. That's what I was learning from that. does not impress the world in the least if you're trying to be cool and ditch those fundamentalist roots. Uh, another testimony here. You know, we were made to feel like if we voted Democrat, we're voting for killing babies. I mean, how could... It's true, kind of, right? That's their platform. That's their party platform. Somehow this is a problem. She, uh, another testimony, Judy Abrams talks about um, that, you know, in two, she based her vote in 2016 on protecting babies. Voted for Donald Trump. But there's no protection within your church for your own child. I guess her child was abused at a church, which is terrible. Awful thing to have happen. Horrible. Uh, and this is why... <laughs> Suffering for doing right, like First Peter, Peter 3 talks about this. Suffering for, for doing what's right is good. Suffering for doing what's wrong is bad. And, you know, I, I just, as I'm looking at this, um, this church, you know, they're, they're in trouble because of a, an abuse situation. It sounds like it might have been a legitimate abuse situation. I don't know. There are churches that have that, and it is a stain. When that does happen, it's... It is, it is something, I shouldn't say a stain, but it is, a, it is something that the world, uh, that the media will zoom in on. They'll ignore all the churches, you know, the 99, over 99% of churches that don't have these kind of situations or whatever number you want to put on that, the vast majority. And they'll look at that little bitty number and they'll characterize the whole church by it. And, and that, those churches that harbor people that are predators, um, that you need to do your work. You need to try as best you can to put protections in place, uh, biblical polity at your church, accountability. These are important things because this is what the world does with these things. Uh, Donald Trump said that Christianity is under siege and they're making fun of it. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, homeschooling. That's a problem because uh, homeschoolers aren't using the textbooks that the rest of us are using. I predict that that's going to be one of the new attacks, especially if a Democrat gets in. They are going to attack homeschooling. Professor from Calvin College uh, says that there's been an emphasis on female submission and male leadership in the church for a long time, and um, and that's a bad thing. He wrote a book called Jesus and John Wayne, uh, and uh, you know, showing that there's this patriarchal spirit in the church that's not good. I guess Christian nationalism. Here we go. The word nationalism is focused on uh, preserving a perceived Christian identity for American, irrespective of the means by which such a project would be achieved. So Christians are a bunch of hypocrites is the point of this. I'm going to just kind of end this because uh, it's a lot of it's just repeating itself. Um, it, so here's, here's another one. Uh, telling the story of another person who, who says that it became harder for me to reconcile the Bible verses about the poor and the downtrodden with Donald Trump and my college, someone named Davis says. Once you start questioning prevailing attitudes towards the poor, listen to this carefully. Once you, once you start questioning prevailing attitudes toward the poor, once you start looking at one marginalized community, Davis says, you see discrimination everywhere. So this is this is the the, the getting woke. And now here's the transition. He says, how could I ignore the racist history of the Republican Party? and especially the racism of Donald Trump. He's assuming these things. And then he changes. He says, I, uh, uh, or she, I think it's a she, she changes. And now she's, uh, did, she volunteered for Elizabeth Warren's campaign. 
I almost don't know how to express my faith anymore because I live in the South. Supports gay rights now and women's rights, so abortion. Where did it start? Where did it start, according to uh, Davis, who uh, Jordan Davis is the name, grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church. Southern Baptist, are you listening? Jordan Davis, in this article, where did it start? Uh, She couldn't reconcile Bible verses about the poor and the downtrodden with Donald Trump and my college. I think she went to an evangelical college. Couldn't reconcile it. And then she started seeing discrimination everywhere. It was the race issue. And then what did it morph into? The racist history of the Republican Party. Republicans are bad. Now she's volunteering for Elizabeth Warren. She's for gay rights. She's for abortion. And she hates the place she lives in or dislikes it in some way. This is, this is the road you start people on when you start going down this woke road. It is, it's not a slippery slope fallacy. Slippery slope fallacy is that if you do this, this will necessarily take place. It, it won't always necessarily take place. But the same logic used to forward the, the woke Black Lives Matter agenda is the same logic that's employed to forward the homosexual agenda. And when this thing spins, because it will, it will change. It will be the homosexual agenda at some point. It's going to be the same narrative. And what are you going to do then, J.D. Greer? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Russell Moore? You're going to try to take a stand against it? How? You've already given young people the logic they need to oppose you if you try to do that. Since the Black Lives Matter protests in the spring, she's also gotten more involved in progressive activism and moved further away from her evangelical counterparts. She's leaving the church. Her new church, I've said this before, it's a new religion. Her new church is progressive activism. Uh, Loveland, the first uh, young lady uh, that we talked about, settled in an Episcopal church with a female bishop. And it's been healing, she says, for her. Um, (laughs) Here's the last sentence of the article. You guys won, I often tell my mom, Howard Merritt says this, I guess. I often tell my mom, you guys won an election, but you lost a generation. She adds, it's not like they're all becoming progressives. They're just leaving the church. They're just leaving the church. Why not go to J.D. Greer's church? (laughs) He'll agree with them on half this stuff, right? Um, This is a hit piece. And there's something to it, though. There's something to it. I I wanted to go through a bunch of the errors in this because the world's, you know, the media is getting this all wrong. I have a much shorter blog I'm going to read, and then I'm going to give you some some things to think about, and I'm going to look at the comments, and, and we'll see what kind of, um, answer this question. Why Why are young people leaving the church? Quote, unquote. Open question. Take that however you want. But that's that's the topic here. This is a Facebook post from uh, Ben Creamer on June 28th. Uh, I'll read part of it. He gave his life to Jesus when he was five, and he was later baptized. Uh, he was called to be a pastor when he was seven. Now, this is typical for a lot of evangelical churches, but guys, this is a little young. Look, I, I got baptized, I think, when I was six. So I and I had a crisis, not a crisis. I had, I had doubts in my teens because I couldn't remember was I saved or not. And I realized, okay, it wasn't my decision. It was Jesus who saved me. But, um, but when you, especially being called to be a pastor at seven, sometimes I think churches can be very careless with this kind of thing. We rubber stamp people for saying the right things and, and we, we need to give it time sometimes. He, he could have legitimately wanted to do that at seven. All right. I'm not saying he couldn't have, but I'm just saying that when you're that young, you, you haven't fully formed what you want to do yet. 
so he studied with some great theological minds, he, his evangelical credentials. He's ordained to be a pastor in 2016, and he's pastoring. This is a pastor who's writing this. But many of his friends have left the church. And he's saying, I miss them. Now, why did they leave? And this is what he wants to answer. This is his answer. I'm going to hear your answers. I'm going to give my attempt at an answer. This is what he says. Evangelicalism, the way you taught my generation to live is sadly not what, you're, what you've been living out. Saying you're hypocrites. So hypocrisy is the reason his friends are leaving. You taught us to pursue the kingdom of God first, yet you so often pursue America first. Now, why, why is this a problem in his mind? Now, maybe he went to one of these super like patriotic churches that just really does mix, mix these categories up. That's possible. More often than not, and I've been to a lot of churches, and I, you know, I'm, this, is, this is just my experience here, but more often than not, when you have a church with a flag in the, in, in the sanctuary and they want to sing God Bless America on Independence Day, and they're thankful for this country. It's because they re- recognize there are Christian ideas at the foundation of this country. And the, one of them is religious freedom. And so they're thanking God for that. And, and they are, they're citizens. They're, they're citizens of a country and they want to be good citizens. And they're not, they're not trying to mix categories and mistake kingdoms or, or anything like that. But he's, his perception is they're putting America above the church. That's what, and he's, he's broad brushing. He's saying evangelicalism. This is apparently characterizing everyone. Um, so, so the, my suspicion when someone says something like this is they've adopted a new left critique. They, they don't like this country. They think there's something morally evil about this country. The country needs to be transformed and changed. And so anyone who would be thankful for it or say positive things about it, that's the problem. I'm guessing, but I'm going to keep going. You taught us to proclaim Christ as Lord of all. Wouldn't that include America? I'm just asking. Uh, But when it comes to talk of real power, all we hear you talking about is presidents. Now, where is this? Um, I mean, Big Eva is obsessed with Trump. I mean, if I'm thinking about, okay, evangelical leaders who just constantly talk about the president. Yeah, you know, right-wingers aren't coming to mind. (laughs) It's it's, it's actually people like Thibide and Abuile um, that come to mind when when I start thinking about that. You taught us about purity and respect. You get mad at us when we call out political leaders for their unwholesome remarks about women and people of color. Uh, or is it for slander? Is it for slandering um, political leaders because you're mistaking what they said because the media spun it that they were talking negatively about people of color or something like that? You taught us that violence isn't the way to solve our problems and to love our enemies, yet you seem so preoccupied with the war and the right to bear arms. We have responsibilities. We have rights, right? Rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. Uh, We're losing those. That's why a lot of evangelicals who understand religious uh, freedom, understand freedom to worship, also understand the freedom to bear arms that protects the other freedoms. That's a problem somehow. This is an obsession with violence, I guess. I don't know where this guy grew up. If you grew up, you know, I grew up with people in my church were going to gun clubs and we grew up hunting. And I, I'm wondering if there's, if there's a dynamic here also where there's people from suburban or urban areas who just didn't grow up around guns, uh, who don't understand them as a tool and as a tool of self-defense. Um, and they have, you know, police readily available, that kind of thing, if, if, if there's a bias there. I don't know. He says, you, you uh, taught us to spread the gospel. Yet so much of what we hear from you is spreading political ideologies. 
<laughs> yes, the woke church. <laughs> Eric Mason is spreading political ideologies. He's saying it's, it's the conservatives. You taught us to welcome the stranger as a friend and help those in need, yet you talk to, uh, so disparagingly about immigrants, refugees, and those in need of welfare. Okay, where is this? If you, if you start pulling quotes, you're probably going to find things that say that welfare actually harms the communities it's intended to help. You probably you are going to find things that, uh, that illegal migration it destabilizes the economy and the culture, and um, it, it, it's not good. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you're going to find. That's not uh, talking disparagingly about people. That's just recognizing the truth. You taught us to repent, yet when we want to repent from racism, jingoism, and nationalism, you treat us as if we were just politically misguided rather than gospel determined. Okay, there it is. Gospel determined. Okay, so repenting of racism is, that's the gospel. That's gospel determined. Uh, I knew it would come up in here somewhere that the gospel is part of this. New left critique and the gospel are somehow parallel or the same or they, uh, one is included in the other. You taught us that all life is sacred, yet talk as if it only applies to the unborn. We care about the unborn too, but we also care about other uh, ways human life exists and is cared for, even the earth itself, its climate, its animals, its future. So if you were in Nazi Germany, let's say, and you, you said, man, I, I'm just going to talk about the, the Jews, they're dying. And someone would come to you and say, well, what about the environment? You would say, well, what are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you not see what's happening right now? Yeah, that's, that's the situation we're in. There, you know, there's kind of like a bigger issue going on right now, even if you legitimately think, yeah, there's a threat to the climate, which we can talk about that, but there's like a legitimately bigger issue. Babies dying, mass. I mean, this is, this is, we're having our own Holocaust right now. And, um, and for Christians to be concerned about that over these other issues and that for that to be the pri primary thing, people actually dying, losing their lives, little more important than like free healthcare. You told us relationship was the way of the gospel. I don't even get that. I guess it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And it has nothing to do with works or legalism. Yet we hear so much talk about working to get the right people in political power and to shape the legal system in favor of what we value. So politics is bad. Pursuing power is bad. Um, and we want to be able to pursue relationships. So I think of an analogy here. Um, okay. You want to spend money, okay? But you spend so much time making sure your doors are locked, making sure your money's in the bank. But but you you just want to spend the money, right? That's the important part. Well, part of making ensuring that you can spend the money is protecting that money. Part of ensuring you can spread the gospel is protecting that gospel. And a way of protecting the gospel is to ensure that Democrats who will cancel ministers of the gospel do not get into office. This shouldn't be that hard to understand. Let's see. Um... You, sh you taught us to worship God alone and see scriptures as our primary authority, yet you act as though this country and its constitution is on the same level. Uh, the principles of the constitution that are, you know, from Christian understandings, I mean, that, that comes from the Bible, but yes, they're, they're not on the same level. Um, you call my generation lazy, entitled, and shame us for leaving the church. While some of your criticisms are accurate, some not, we feel like you've abandoned so much of what you've taught us, become lazy as a church and entitled over political power. <laughs> entitled. I mean, this guy, tell me who's got the entitled spirit here. The guy writing this just seems like he's so entitled that to a church that behaves in the way that he wants. It's got to be the way, it's got very specific. Uh, it's got to be exactly the way that he thinks it should be. 
Maybe there's less and less room for my generation in evangelicalism because there's more of a desire to be a Christian nation than there is to be a Christian church. So he's saying the church isn't Christian. We want to be the church more than anything. All right. Well, this is that's the article. Seven over seven thousand people liked it. Uh, over nine thousand shares. Two hundred twenty-four comments. I want to hear from you guys. This is kind of what's going on. Um, th- th- this is this is not new though, and that's one of the things that I have uh, realized is that you know this has been going on. Here's the Ben Kramer post. If you're watching, you can find it online. Um, here, here's. August 7th, 2007, reasons 18 to 22-year-olds drop out of church. And if you read this, it talks about political reasons. Um, Here's a CNN story. This is uh, from, let's see here, 2011. And again, Republican conservatives should be worried. Evangelical churches that frequently support conservative candidates are finally admitting something the rest of us have known for some time. Their young adult members are abandoning the church. And it gives examples of it. And of course, politics, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming Democrats. I mean, so this, this is before Trump that, that we see these things. I have some of my own ideas. I'll read some scripture, but I want to hear uh, from you guys. So I'm going to look over the comments here. Why are uh, Christians, evangelicals, um, why are they leaving the church? What do you think? What's the reason for that? And we have a lot of comments. I'm not going to be able to look at all these. Um, Looks like you got some discussions going on. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, why, why, why is this the case, guys? Why, why are young people claiming that they're leaving the church because of political reasons? Um, some of them mere theological reasons. Um, so, so the gospel isn't being preached. I think that could be a big part of it. You got a bunch of people that aren't saved in the church already, quote unquote, claiming they're Christians. And, and, and so, because they're not born again, uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, we can go to Matthew chapter five or not five, sorry. Go to Matthew, uh, chapter, is it 13? Yeah. The, the parable of the four soils. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus, uh, says to the large crowds, he got into a boat, sat down. He said, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Could be that that's a lot of the churches. There's just no depth there. They just, they they mirrored the culture they were in, but they never actually got saved. When the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. So, it could be that there's a soil problem in this country. A lot of the churches aren't really churches. They're social groups. But, but still, there's still a question, lingering question that, that, that I have. Because here's, that, does exp, that could explain it. But the reasons that they're giving are, it, they're political. They're saying, I reject Jesus. I reject the gospel. I reject Christianity as a religion because of what some of the members I grew up with say about Donald Trump or about politics. How does that make any sense? I, all of Big Eva seems to want to be woke right now and go liberal Democrat direction. I'm not, my faith isn't shaken. Um, so so what's, the, what's the reason for this? There are a lot of apostates in the church, yeah. Churches are becoming social change centers. That's very true. I think, yes, shifting responsibility. That's a good quote. 
We need to repent and heal from the legacy of slavery and racism. Uh, if you've never repented, you're not a Christian. So that kind of logic that, um, so there's an ideological kind of uh, logic that they're, they're, they're assuming that their version of Christianity is the correct one. But here, here's, here's my question. Does that then lead to leaving the church? Does that mean the woke church is the last uh, station? It's the last train station on the train that's heading to hell. Is, is that what the woke church is? Are they just, because I there was a church in the community I grew up in, which uh, some of my friends and I, we would, we would talk about this church sometime because it was one of these churches that it grew from reshuffling the deck, if you know what I mean. It wasn't necessarily evangelism as much as um, disgruntled people from other churches would go to this church. But we noticed a trend. A lot of the people that I knew that come from the church I was in went to this other church. There, that would be like the next step. And, and then a few years later, like the, the next step they'd take would be like, they're not in church anymore at all. It was, it was like uh, funneling people to secularism. And I wonder how much of that is going on. They're blaming the church for being too conservative. But what if there's another dynamic? What if the woke churches are actually starting to funnel people out of the church? Why would you want to be a part of a racist, sexist, misogynistic institution? If that's what the church has been, and they're complicit in all of this, and the power of gospel made no difference in the history of the church. I mean, they were just guilty of all the same sins, these horrible things. And why would you want to be part of that? There's no power in that. <laughs> I guess the, they had the Bible, but the Bible, I guess, made no difference. Um, of course, that's a good argument for leaving the church. I'm wondering how much of that plays into this. I really am. And uh, yeah, preachers aren't teaching the truth. That's a good answer. Um, Churches are in entertainment centers, pewing pop psychology. Yes, yes. A lot of churches, a lot of mega churches, especially going that direction. Uh, they're, they're, they're cultural centers um, that have to be reimagined every 10 years to make sure that they're current. And, and you know, there's no substance to it. There's no truth. It's, it's not a big deal leaving something like that. You're not involved, intimately involved in people's lives there. You go there to have fun. It's like uh, leaving a, I don't know, a chess club or something. <laughs> like, not, not that hard to do. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of, of reasons here. I'm going gonna, um, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you some of the things that I think. Um, so, I think there's a naivete, a naivete here in both of these articles. And they think that we're, they, they downplay the idea that we're losing the freedom to worship because we are losing that. Um, in fact, uh, I'm planning on possibly next week or the week after having a, a street preacher on the program. And there are some examples. I've already seen them. I'm trying to collect them of during these Black Lives Matter protests, street preachers going out and getting persecuted. All right. Maybe you haven't seen them, but they're, uh, the preaching of the gospel is offensive. And there, there is a concern right now that we could lose some of these freedoms. And there's a people are naive, I think, on the social justice track uh, of how close we are to losing some of these freedoms. So the older generation who lived with these freedoms, of course, is going to want to protect them. And they're not looking for a utopia or anything like that. Um, but I, I think some of these social justice guys are. They're wanting a perfect kind of utopia. And when they don't get it at their church, when it's not exactly what they believe on political things it's it, they're they're done with it cancel culture leave doesn't seem like there's much of an attempt to work with the people or express these concerns to the pastor um 
The other thing is this, education, education and parental involvement. Really, parents are responsible for education, whether you, you're sending them somewhere to get educated and checking up to make sure they're actually getting educated or whether you're doing it yourself through homeschooling. Parents are responsible for this. And I fear that there's not a lot of parental involvement. And I'll tell you what I observed growing up. And because and, I, I'd say 50% of the youth group I was in at a solid church probably left the church. Uh, some of them went to more cool, hip churches before they left, but they left. And what I noticed with a lot of parents is that they were interested more in building reputations in their kids instead of character, building reputations instead of character. So um, we won't go to church on Sunday because we're going to go to a sports game as a habit, as a habit doing that. Um, you know, making sure that our kids know all the latest television shows and the cool things the other kids, they have all the, the cool the tennis shoes and everything the other kids have. Um, they want to be the cool parent and let church, let the youth group guy raise your kids. I think we've been living in that for a while now where the, you send your kids to youth group because he's going to be the one to make them godly. But where our job as parents is to be the cool parents and we want to build our kids' reputation. All right. So that, that is a worldly centered kind of direction that you're instilling within your child. Instead of building character, which would be uh, family devotions, um, you know, you're, you're going to go fishing with dad today. Dad's, dad's going to spend some time. I mean, these, these are some things my parents did. And I, and I was involved in sports, by the way. I'm not demeaning that. I was involved. We didn't, but church was a bigger priority. I was in Boy Scouts. Church was a bigger priority. Um, I had a band. Church was a bigger priority. Uh, I, I memorized a lot of the hymn book growing up because my parents instilled that within me. Every morning, we had devotions. My parents would teach us uh, to memorize some of these old hymns. We'd sing them. Um, some people might think that's cheesy. Um, I even thought maybe I was weird because a lot of my friends didn't back then. I'm grateful, though, my parents did that. I know if I was sent to prison, I have a whole songbook in my head that I can sing. Uh, my dad did take me hunting with him. Uh, he did spend time with us. He did have serious conversations with us. He was more interested in instilling character in us than making sure we had a reputation. And I wonder how much of that is at play in this. How much of it is you've, you, parents have given their kids to the church to raise them, and all the church did was play games with them. That's all the youth group leader did. A few little Bible stories here and there. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday school, BBS, babe, convenient babysitter. I think so at sometimes. I think so. Um, it's difficult to watch TV. Another Jonathan Grant commented, yeah, you know what? I, I, as far as if I was raising kids right now, which I will be probably soon, um, hopefully, Lord willing, pray for me. <laughs> My wife and I do want to have children. I don't know what I'm going to show them for, for entertainment. For, I want them to see things on that television screen, if they're going to watch it, that instill character within them. I don't think there's anything on network television I could show them. I'm gonna have to go back to old movies, um, and uh, and and Phil Vischer, uh, you know, he created Veggie Tales. There's my little, <laughs> and I do like I like Veggie Tales for the most part. I, I don't I don't know I haven't kept up with it. I was I was a kid when I used to watch those, but um, they probably have problems. Who knows? Um, so so education and parental involvement. I think I think there's a there's a big that's a big part of it because we're not just seeing it in evangelical church. We're seeing it in historical organizations too. I, I have a foot in that world. I know. That historical organizations, um, you know, you're talking about like um, uh, Daughters of the American Revolution, um, the, uh, um, uh, I forget what they call it. It's not Sons of Union Veterans. It's the, the Grand Army of the Republic, Sons of Confederate Veterans. Um, 
some of these uh, civic organizations like uh, I think the Lions Club, these, these kinds of things, they're losing members. In other words, the next generation isn't going to these civic organizations as much. They're not participating. They're more independent. They're, now, why is that? Did their parents take them? Did their parents instill within them the same values? Um, this may be a bigger cultural thing than just the church. This may be a generation of parents, many of whom were selfish, who um, pursued their hobbies but didn't pursue their kids as much. And if they did, it was trying to live vicariously through their kids. This is just me as an observer. I don't have a study on this. So that, that's another reason that I think this might be happening. Um, my, 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 I've given some of my story um, already, but uh, there, there's a passage I wanted, actually two passages I wanted to read for you. Um, Galatians, obviously the Galatian heresy you know, when I, whenever I'm talking about the woke church, I like to bring up uh, the Galatian heresy because this, this even confused people who were in the church, right? Even the apostle, right? Peter uh, got confused by the Judaizers for a time. And there's some room for this. And you can't walk in that or else you'll be in heresy land. You won't, you'll show that you're not saved. You'll eventually have to realize, wow, okay, this isn't the gospel. I'm adding to the gospel. Paul says in verse six of Galatians chapter one, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. <laughs> He's amazed at how quick this is happening. And I'm not, I'm not sure we should be so amazed when we see things like this, when we see even a mass exodus from the church um, for a different gospel. The woke gospel is a gospel. It is a different gospel. These kids aren't leaving religion. They're leaving biblical Christianity or whatever, even if it wasn't a good church, whatever semblance of biblical Christianity was present, they're rejecting it. Right? Even if it was an imperfect church, hopefully they probably heard the gospel at some point. They're rejecting it for a different gospel. 1 John um, chapter 2 also talks about this. Verse 15. Now, see if this reads like a newspaper today. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. This is talking about false teachers, right? This isn't necessarily talking about uh, just a, a layman who's leaving the church, right? He's saying this is how you know that these false teachers, these Antichrists, uh, how they're false. The evidence is they went out from us. Now, I, I don't have a problem saying that when someone leaves the church, over the true church, over politics or whatever excuse they use, if they're really leaving the church or leaving Christianity, that's the evidence that they were never of us. I really think, I think that's what First John, and they're saying about false teachers, but I think that's, that's what First John is conveying here. Um, that kind of re a rejection, which is the wholesale rejection of Christianity itself, which is what we're seeing today, that kind of a rejection is not a rejection of a po certain political philosophy. It's not a rejection about uh, against parents or church leaders. It's a rejection of Christ. Ultimately, this is a theological question, not a political question. And, and yeah, there's, there's two things going on. You have a cultural thing, people culturally leaving institutions, voluntary associations they used to be involved with. Uh, but then you have the real spiritual war that's going on. People 
that have heard the gospel that are rejecting the gospel, and it's not more complicated than that. I don't think so. I really don't. Um, the watchmen are asleep, dead on the wall, and the wolves have come to devour the sheep. Jonathan Grant again. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we, there are so, uh, there's such a lack for real men who are willing to stand up to this. And I'm grateful for the few who are willing, but my encouragement to you all who are watching this is in the lane that God has given you, not everyone has the same kind of platform, but you have, you have some kind of a platform at the very least you can pray, but whatever lane God has given you, be a real man and woman of the Lord, um, challenge these false gospels, just like, just like Paul did with Peter, challenge these things. If there's not repentance, confront it. Make sure that the truth is not being obscured at the churches you're going to. Make sure that the woke religion is not coming in. I guarantee you that's going to drive people out. That's going to push them towards um, <laughs> leaving the church faster than anything else. That's just my opinion. But fight for these things. And, and don't buy the lie that it's just because, oh, people voted for Donald Trump or, oh, you, you know, you have male leadership. And, and if you just change, because here's the, here's the lie. This is what woke church leaders want you to believe. Um, if we just change the church up a little bit, if we just uh, tweak it, you know, we make sure that we give women more authority, then they'll come back. All these people that they, no, the stated reasons that they're leaving are not the real reasons they're leaving. They may say they're, they're leaving because uh, you don't have female leaders in the church. But if they're rejecting Christ and leaving the church, their problems with Christ. That's, that's the issue they're having. It's not, they're using that as an excuse. Don't buy it. Don't buy it for one second. Stick to the book. All right. Those are my encouragements. Um, are you going to do a video of the statement released by Grace Community Church by John MacArthur? It's amazing. What statement are we talking about? Uh, Mr. Mora. Um, statement by John. I'm not familiar. I don't know. Is it the Dallas statement? If it's the Dallas statement, then uh, I've mentioned it before. I haven't done like a long video segment on it or anything, but um, I, I'll give you a preview. I wasn't going to mention this, but uh, since it was brought up, the Dallas statement, I'm going to give you a little preview to some coming attractions. Um, and I can't give you a firm date for this. So don't don't get your hopes too high, uh, but, but you can give, get them up a little bit. I just talked to someone yesterday who is uh, who knows a lot about like building apps and, you know, websites and data systems and that kind of thing. And I've had an idea for over a year. I've, I've had this vision of creating a network and integrating it with like a Google map or something. Maybe we don't even want to use Google. I don't know, but some kind of map. And you can, as a church register, as a prospective pastor register, or as a layman register. So three tracks, Put in your denominational preference, and then we were thinking about making the Dallas Statement on Social Justice kind of one of the, the criteria. You can click whether or not you accept or agree with it. And, th and so then you can go to this integrated map, find the people in your area who agree with the Dallas Statement, find the people, um, find the churches that would agree with it, find um, the, the prospective pastors, if you're a church looking for a pastor that might want to, uh, to, 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 to candidate at that church. And, and that, it saves you a lot of trouble. And, and this, this, I don't know how we're going to do it. We, we'll have to figure out a way to pay for it and everything. But, um, but, but it's just, hey, it's an idea that we were talking about yesterday. And this guy is serious about pursuing it. So I'm hoping, hoping in the next few months we'll be able to get that up and running. So that's a, that's a preview uh, for coming attractions there. Um, but uh, so that, that is all I have for today. And I'm glad 
that you, you all were able to join me. We got 174 live streaming now and having a great conversation. Thank you so much for all your support. God bless you. Got a few uh, episodes next week that I'm excited about. And uh, if you're thinking about me, just just pray that um, I, I do have this this book contract. I have a lot going on next week. I, I have to record an audible book for this for this book that's being released. I have to submit the final manuscript for that. And, um, and, and I have uh, a whole bunch of other personal things like that, is, that, that are going to take up a lot of time next week. So just pray that I'm able to stay focused, get things done. I'm excited about this book. It's called, the title is Social Justice Goes to Church. Um, that's a working title we have now. And so I, I'm really excited for y'all to, to read that and to get your take on it. So um, anyway, God bless. Have a good Friday afternoon. Bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.